For those of you who don't know, my name is Cameron. My wife, Samantha, and I are the youth ministers here at Harvest Bible Church. Um, Pastor Mark and Pastor Pam are out of town today, so they gave me this incredible opportunity just to share my heart with you all this morning. And I always say this, but I hope you came with an expectation. Amen? How many of you, by a show of hands, are believing that God is going to move in your life this morning? Everyone, let's pray because not everyone raised their hand. Father, we thank you this morning. God, we pray that collectively you would increase our expectation. Father, not because anyone who's behind the pulpit, but Father, because you who are on the throne. And Father, we believe that heaven is pouring out onto this room this morning. So Father, increase our expectation. And Father, move in our life this morning the way that only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to be sharing, and the title of my message this morning is Run Your Race. Turn to your neighbor real quick. Say, Run Your Race. And open up your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews 12. We're going to be reading out of Hebrews 12, verse 1. This is what it says. It says, Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such great opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. Amen. I could close right there. We could just, no. But what's interesting about this word race in this passage of scripture is it actually is the Greek word agon. Okay, and the word agon in the Greek is where we get the word agony. (laughs) It's like, so wait, the agony set before me? So that kind of implies to us that this race is not an easy one-mile jog, but in fact, it's a race that will be difficult and demanding. You know, the Bible also says that the race has been set before us by God, meaning we don't get to choose necessarily the difficulty of our race. Wouldn't it be nice if you got to start off on easy? Okay, I'm just going to warm up in the race of life and, you know, I'll work my way up to the obstacles and, oh, even a map where I can see all the obstacles in my whole life. Wonderful. And you all know, and you've lived long enough to know that that's not true. And this race doesn't work like that. We certainly know that this is a difficult race that we're on. And this might come as a surprise because one of the reasons many people sign up with Jesus and start Christianity is to avoid the obstacles, like, hey, wait a second here. The under, they're under the impression that following Jesus is more like a fun run, when in reality, it's more like an Iron Man challenge. Because in fact, this race that we're on when we're following Jesus is a narrow and hard to navigate course that is filled with obstacles. If you have your Bibles, let's take a look at Matthew seven thirteen. It says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide for many to choose that way. And I want to begin to share a story from the Old Testament. We're going to look at someone who had 
some obstacles. Y'all, y'all didn't know the young man could preach from Old Testament. Here I go. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor real quick and say, Nehemiah. Nehemiah. So we're going to talk about Nehemiah and talk about some of the obstacles that he faced. So in the Old Testament, we're reading, right? So the Babylonians, here's a quick context, have conquered the Israelites. And they've taken captive everyone who serves them. And then on top of that, the Persian Empire now comes and conquers the Babylonians. That's when we come across and we see Nehemiah, who has been double conquered. Okay, he first was conquered by the Babylonians. He's now conquered by the Persians. And we find him, an Israelite, serving as the cupbearer to the king. So basically, among other duties, his job is to take the first drink to make sure it's not poisoned. And he holds the cup. Some real laborious work that Nehemiah is doing here in the kingdom, okay? Done? That's Nehemiah's job. So Nehemiah hears news that his land has been destroyed. And God begins to put it in his heart to rebuild it. So he prays and prays and prays that the king would send him. And since he has favor with the king... Not only is Nehemiah able to go, but he is sent with safety and supplies to start the rebuild. And the king notices that he's sad. He says, you've never been sad and you're not physically ill. What's wrong? You know what that means? Y'all need to smile more. (laughs) So Nehemiah has favor with the king and the king sends him off to go rebuild this land. And I wonder if he's thinking to himself, right? Like, whew, obstacles are over. He's probably thinking, man, getting permission from the king was the hardest part. <clears throat> Sorry, Nehemiah, but uh, you'll see that your race has just begun. That'd be like signing up for a race and just being like, all right, where's my medal? Where's my trophy? It's like, you don't even get a participation trophy if you don't participate. Come on now, Nehemiah. So Nehemiah has some obstacles that he has to overcome. And how many of you know that on this race that we're on, we have some obstacles to overcome too? Some are similar to Nehemiah's. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This is the first obstacle you may face. This is the obstacle of indifference. Meaning the obstacle of not caring. Uh Uh-oh. And this might be the most dangerous obstacle because it's one that will get you to quit the race before it even starts. Nehemiah could have easily said, well, I mean, this place is a thousand miles away. I've never even been there. God will call someone closer. God will call someone with more experience than me. You know, there's this old cartoon. Have you guys heard of Popeye the Sailor? So Popeye has his girlfriend, Olive Oil, and their villain is Brutus. And so Brutus has always given Olive Oil a hard time, and he's always, you know, ragging on her, and Popeye puts up with a lot of it, and finally he says, that's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. He gets jacked up on spinach and pop, right? And I'm wondering when Christians are going to start to stand up and say, I can't stand it. I can't stand it no more. But the scary thing is, it seems like there's not enough spinach in the world we could have that would get us to overcome the obstacles that we have to face. But it's not spinach you need, it's the power of God. Amen? Amen. So Nehemiah has this moment. 
He's had all that he could stand. The Lord has burdened his heart enough to get in the race. The next obstacle you might face is called the obstacle of insufficiency. Nehemiah is looking at this race that's marked out before him. And he realizes that there's no way he's equipped to deal with all the obstacles he's about to face. Not to mention the obstacles that he can't even see yet. The obstacles he doesn't even know about. He's not sure what he can do to help. But what's great is he knows he has to do something. That's the spirit of urgency that Christians need. Right? Because someone asks you, hey, what are you doing on Saturday? And you're like, why do you want to know? You got to answer carefully. Someone might be moving. Someone might need you to set up a DVD player or a VCR or whatever it is. But we need this urgency. Like, I don't know what I can do to help, but I know that I need to do something. Do you feel that urgency stirring in you this morning? And on paper... Nehemiah absolutely does not have the power, he does not have the position, and he does not have the resources to accomplish what God is calling him to do. He realizes that if he relies on his own strength, he would quickly fail. But only through prayer and only through complete dependence on God could this be done. How many of you know, even though it looks like you can't handle your circumstances, whatever it is you're facing right now, let me tell you, what you have plus God equals enough. What you have plus God always equals enough. The third obstacle that you'll find yourself facing is called the obstacle of opposition. And y'all know all about that one. Some of y'all face some opposition on your way to church this morning. Nehemiah and his crew, they're finally starting this project. They're rebuilding the walls and they're instantly met with opposition. Again, he's probably thinking, I made the journey here. Whew, hardest parts out of the way. Until all the surrounding governments and authorities are threatened by the rebuild of God's kingdom. You know, when Nehemiah said yes to God, he also said yes to opposition. And when you started this race, you also said yes to opposition. When you accepted Jesus, you also accepted the obstacles that are coming. You know, we often think, right, like, I ran into this problem. This must not be God's will for my life. Things are really tough right now. Like, this must not be God's will for my life. Like, a smooth road, heavenly thumbs up. Bumps in the road, heavenly thumbs down. But let me tell you something about Nehemiah. He was not facing opposition because he was doing something wrong. He was facing opposition because he was doing something right. Because the path is narrow and hard to navigate. And I would challenge you, if things are so, so, so easy, make sure you're on the right path. Because the race that God has called us to run is one that's narrow and hard to navigate. Remember, this is the race God has set before us. So if we don't remind ourselves that God has set it before us, it's going to cause us to give up. If this is my decision, I'm like, I don't want to be here. If it's this tough and this is all my idea, I'm out, I'm out. But if this is the race that God has set before me, and if I'm in the center of his will, 
then this is where I want to be. Even think about Jesus, right? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. What did he come to the earth to do? To die for our sin. And all throughout the New Testament, when he's praying, he says, my father, my father. Except for one moment, when he's on the cross and he says, my God, my God. So isn't it interesting that the moment he seems to feel the furthest from the father is actually when he's in the center of his will. Let me tell you, you could be right where God wants you to be, but don't think that because you have some obstacles, because you have some trials, because you have some tribulations going on, that you're not where God wants you to be. That could actually be a sign that you are right where God wants you. Amen? Amen. So, so we ask this question, right? So we're, we have these obstacles. The first one is of indifference. Do we really care about this? Do we really want to do it? Insufficiency. God, I don't, I don't think I can do this. Now you're in the race and you're facing the opposition. So how do we handle these obstacles? Turn to your neighbor, say, embrace the obstacle. Embrace the obstacles. Here's the thing. The path of least resistance is always the most tempting. And we don't have to, we don't have, to have an altar call here, but you know, the path of least resistance is always the most tempting. Like, mm, can I really do that? That would make my day a whole lot easier. Do I have to clean the garage? My wife said yes. So, so the answer is yes. But here's the thing, the easiest thing to do is to avoid the obstacles altogether. But God is calling you to embrace the obstacles. Isn't it funny that God knows the obstacles are there, yet he still called you to run the race? It's not like God made a mistake, like God's not just in heaven, like, oh man, I didn't even see those there. Sorry, brother. I mean, no. God knows the obstacles are there, and he calls you to run the race. We even see at one point, they're building the walls and they have all this opposition. Like, you know, like these days, you know, they have yo mama jokes. But um, in this day, they must have had yo wall jokes. They're all making fun of Nehemiah's wall. They're like, man, yo wall is so weak. If a fox jumped on it, it'd fall over. Burn! Like that must have been like the sickest burn back in the day. And, and these people, they're all in great danger. They're all threatened but Nehemiah and his people are embracing the obstacles. So much to the point where they got building supplies in one hand and they got weapons in the other. Amen? They got it split up. Half the people are building, half the people got their weapons. Some people got swords on their sheath and building materials. There's gonna be some obstacles that you have to face. And let me tell you, you could be building something, but you always want to keep this weapon in your hand. Amen? And you want to keep this weapon right here in your heart. Amen? I love that they don't pretend that the obstacles are not there. Because to me, that's not faith. It's not faith to say you have no obstacles. It's faith to say I have obstacles, but the God that I serve is bigger than those obstacles. Amen? Here's the thing. To run this race... You need something called Godfidence. Somebody shout Godfidence. I just made that word up. It means confidence in God. And, and you have to remember, your confidence should not be in yourself. Your confidence should be in God. Amen? 
Let me, let me explain the difference a little bit. So when I was in the seventh grade, um, I went to my brother's youth group and they had this church member who had this large property and he let us go airsofting. Have y'all heard of airsofting before? Let me tell you, it's this terrible thing um, that children should not be doing. Absolutely not. They get these pressurized weapons and put tiny little pebbles and you just shoot each other. And when you get shot by one, it feels like a bee sting on a sunburn, like no exaggeration. And so I'm confident. I don't know why, but got my new hoodie. It's thick. Got my $35 little airsoft blaster. I'm ready. I mean, I was, I was amazing at Call of Duty at the time, so I figure it's, it's the exact same. It's just a war game. Like, I'm, I'm good. And then I get there, and I see the competition. Like, you would think these people were about to be deployed into active combat. Like, why, why are there Navy SEALs here? Like, they have, like, I, I want, where's the ref? Make sure those are airsoft guns. Because that looks like a real M16 assault rifle, whatever. So my, my confidence is officially shaken. First of all, I don't know why they call it air soft. There's nothing soft about it. You should call it air terrible. That's my new brand. So with my confidence shaken, the match begins, and I charge forward in the opposite direction. Um, that was my first and last experience with Airsoft. And I just share that story with you to tell you this. Your courage is only as real as the foundation of your confidence. If your confidence is in something that has no foundation, you're going to find yourself living in fear. Amen? Your source of confidence needs to have some foundation. And again, there's a difference between confidence in self and this thing called Godfidence. You know, I, re- I read this story. It was this, this dating website that leaked their statistics on one question. This question asked, are you a genius? Now, statistically speaking, they say that one in 1,000 people have genius level IQ. However, 50% of a certain gender that I won't name <laughs> said, yes, I am a genius. Now, we know it was the men that said that, and they've probably been single for too long with no women to keep them humble, and that's probably why they answered yes. So, look at this statistical anomaly. So, let's say, just for the sake of example, that 2,000 people took this quiz, 2,000 men. 1,000 of them said, yes, I am a genius. 999 of them are not. That is confidence in self right there. But there's a difference when you have confidence in God. If you're still in Hebrews, would you turn to Hebrews 10, verse 32? And we'll read through verse 35. Hebrews 10, 32 through 35. This is what it says. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Pause. In the theater of your mind right now, those of you who have been serving God for however long, think about the early days when you first got saved. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Woo! 
glory, terrible suffering. It says, sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same thing. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Watch this. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Amen? Amen. So what is it, who's the audience of, of Hebrews, right? So Paul is writing to the people, and this is a once faithful and now fatigued people. How many of you know there's times in life where they're there, where we're there, where there's times where you just get tired? Right? We're all given a, a measure of faith by God that increases and decreases. And we all know there's sometimes where we decrease. Paul is writing to these people. They're on the verge of giving up. And let me just tell you, you can have whatever kind of confidence you want. You can have confidence just in yourself or you can have the, God, the godfidence that we're talking about. Regardless of what your confidence is in, it will be tested. The foundation of your confidence will be tested. And if your confidence is in yourself and not in God, let me tell you respectfully, you will be exposed at some point during this race. Just like me in the seventh grade running the opposite direction. I had no confidence whatsoever. But that's why we read back in Hebrews 12, 3 from our main scripture this morning. It says, consider him. Somebody shout, consider him. Who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. Consider Jesus. You know what I think the problem is? We have a tendency to consider our circumstances more than we consider Jesus. Oh, you know, I, I feel like God is calling me to do this, but you don't understand my, my financial situation right now. You know, you don't understand the, the turmoil that I have going on in my family right now and, and the things that are going on. Well, consider Jesus. Amen? And what this word means here in this context, really, consider is to compare. Right? So consider whatever circumstance you have and consider it to Jesus. So in the midst of your struggle and your difficult circumstances, consider Jesus. Amen? Consider what he's done for you. We need to consider the fact that he put breath in your lungs this morning that was not owed to you. Amen? Consider the fact that he is willing, that he is able, and he is wanting to move in your life. Whether you have sickness, you have struggle, you have debt, whether you have addiction or sin in your life, consider that he is willing and he is able to set you free. Amen? Amen. I want to encourage you, don't give up on the race. Don't give up. What's the Finding Nemo? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Just keep racing, just keep racing. Open up your Bibles to Galatians 6, chapter 6, verse 9. Some of you already know it and you've beaten me to it. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Amen. At just the right time, you will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. 
I want to encourage you, do not give up on this race. Do not walk away from God. And here's the thing, the race of life is more of a marathon than a sprint, right? I mean, if you try to sprint 26.2 miles, maybe Eleazar could, but I don't know anyone else who could. If you try to sprint that full distance, you're just going to collapse. <laughs> if you're me, it's going to be after about 100 feet. But what you have to learn how to do is pace yourself. You have to learn how to pace yourself. And it's, it's interesting. Like, it's, it's a progression. So, so my son, right, the first thing he does is he learns how to crawl, just like me. Now he walks, just like me. And then after about 15 minutes of walking, he took off and started running and banging his head on everything in the house. Someone said amen. But, but here's the thing. I first learned how to crawl, then I learned how to walk, then I learned how to run. You know, even though I know how to run, there's times in life where I need to walk. Crawling, not so much. Um, if you see me crawling, call 911. Something, <laughs> something terrible has happened if I'm crawling. However, there's still times in life where I need to learn how to Walk. And if you look at the entire race, like if you're sitting there and you're just like, my whole life, oh my gosh, you know, I have some new students, I'm 13, but I don't even know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm like, dude, just go to school tomorrow. I don't know. (laughs) Go to school tomorrow, come to church on Sunday, okay? And then we'll we'll help you through it from there. (laughs) But when the finish line, you guys, is so far, far away, looking at the race in its entirety can be so discouraging and intimidating right? Man, I just, that's where we get back to the obstacle of indifference. Man, I just, why should I even start? It's so far away. There's no way I could even finish this race. You know, the circumstances you're facing right now could seem so insurmountable, but I would encourage you, you don't have to focus on the entire race. What you can do is focus on the next step. Amen? If you can't even see the finish line from where you are, if you're trying to focus on it, it's not going to do you much good. What you need to do is focus on the next step. Amen? Because we tend to think that when there's one big problem, we need one big solution. But in reality, the best solutions are usually small, everyday adjustments that you make to your life. It's not just... One big problem needs one big solution. One big problem often needs everyday small adjustments to your life. And a lot of the times we're ready to give up on the race just because how long the journey seems. Good intentions without action can keep you from running the race. And you didn't know that your good intentions alone without actions can actually be a hindrance to you. Because there's something about good intentions that make you feel like you've done something, right? I mean, that explains why there's this really popular brand of clothing. This is not fake. It's called athleisure. That's a combination of two words that should not be combined. (laughs) Athletics and leisure. Here's what I mean by that. A lot of people wear basketball shorts. I I wear them when I sit on the couch. I don't play basketball, okay? (laughs) A lot of people wear yoga pants who don't go and do yoga, okay? So, but there's something, 
like these clothes are originally designed for athletics, but they're now for leisure. First of all, why do they make them so comfortable? They should make them uncomfortable. I shouldn't even be able to sit down in them. That's how they should be. That would really get me going, but they're so comfortable. I just put them on. I'm like, oh, nice. I'll watch basketball. There's a conclusion, yeah. (laughs) But something about these clothes can make us feel better because of the intention that we have. And good intentions alone can make you feel like you've taken a step when in reality you haven't moved. I'm going to take that next step, man. I'm so excited. You know, and when I take that step, I I got so many plans. Once I get there, I'm just going to, whoo, it's going to be so great. Y'all don't even know. And that's good intentions alone. You know what I would rather have? Oh gosh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Okay, fine. I'll do it. Good intentions are not a substitute for taking the next step. And what we as Christians need to do, we need to go from good intentions to intentional. Amen? We need to go from good intentions to start being intentional with the things that we do. Because running this race that's set before you is going to require discipline. Everyone's favorite, favorite word. Woo, discipline! Open your Bibles to Luke 9. Luke 9, 23. This is what it says. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. This is Jesus talking. He says, Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily. Somebody shout daily. Daily. And follow me, it says. You know, the daily part of the scripture is the hardest part. The hardest part of the scripture is where it says daily. You know, my youth pastor, he always used to tell me, he said, champions are not made in a day, they're made in the daily. Champions are not made in a day, they are made in the daily. Meaning, again, we think one big problem needs one big solution. But again, in reality, it's often everyday adjustments that you need to make in your life in order to combat and conquer those big obstacles that you have. With everything in life, how many of you know you reap what you sow? Amen? You reap what you sow. So if you're in this race and you're often stopping to take breaks, even though you're not tired, you're gonna reap what you sow. Or if you're just walking When God is calling you into a season of jogging, God's like, come on, pick it up, pick it up, get moving. I'm calling you to do this. You need to get in the action, but you're just walking. You're going to reap what you sow. And some people are sprinting and God's like, whoa, 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 slow down. Take a walk. And if you don't, you're going to reap what you sow. So how do we prevent from giving up? That's really the question, like we read in scripture earlier, right? There's a great reward. This was the one, Hebrews 10, 32 through 35, that there's a great reward if you don't give up. And so the question we have to ask is, how do we stop ourselves? How do we prevent ourselves from giving up? Are you all still with me this morning? Turn to your neighbor, say, get back back. on on track. 
Now turn to your second choice neighbor. Say, get back, get back. On, track. on track. Here's how you do this. You know, I found that in the Bible, there's a lot of things that are very simple, but not easy. Right? Simple doesn't mean easy. Right? Like, hey, just, world end, just end world hunger. Simple. Right? <laughs> the instruction is simple, but the action it would take is not so much. And a lot of the things in the Bible are the same way, but, but I find that you can easily get back on track just by showing up. Just by showing up. And this is where I'll begin to transition to the closing part of my message of Brother Scott. If you would come back up on the keys for me, please. You need to show up. And if you're here this morning, you showed up. And if you're watching online, you showed up. You're watching, you're receiving the same spirit here. I'm praying is right out to you as well. But you need to show up to a place where you're encouraged to keep running the race instead of discouraged to give up. I tell our young people this a lot. There's going to be times in your life where you need to check your company. And they're mouthing it because I say it so much. They already know exactly what it is. There's, there's times in life where you have to check your company. What does that mean? Who's surrounding you right now? Who speaks into your life? Who's the one who has authority to, to input in your life? Who's the one who corrects you when you're wrong? Is it your homeboys? Because been there. Homeboys don't always do it. And most of the time, my friends, like when I was in high school and just out of high school, were not encouraging me to run the race. They're like, come on over to the, the broad path that's open. Come on this way. And that doesn't stop for young adults. And it doesn't stop when people get into their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, or even 100. There's going to be people in every bracket trying to pull you away from the race that God has set you on. There has to be times in your life where you check your company. And there's going to be times in life where God calls you to change your company. Uh-oh. God is going to call you to change your company. I remember even in the sixth grade, there was someone who recently came to the school and we kind of became friends, but it was just really, really all bad. Like, all of a sudden, um like running around, skipping class like in the sixth grade and throwing food. And, and I was like, man, I don't, I don't want to have this confrontation of breaking off this friendship. And so he moved after the sixth grade. And I'm like, whew, finally. Until halfway through seventh, seventh grade year, he comes back. You know, if you don't deal with it, it's going to come back. Things don't just go away. And so there had to be a moment where I had to talk to my youth pastor and get advice. And I'm like, I don't know how to do this. And it's like, you just tell him, we're not going to be friends anymore. And who knows what would have happened because that same young man died in his high school years because of his actions. And it's tragic. It's terrible. But who knows if I would have been there with him still if I didn't confront the obstacles that I had to face. What you do not resolve, you will repeat. What you do not resolve, you will repeat. And people are going to look at you funny like, oh, high and mighty, all of a sudden, 
Yeah, all of a sudden. Aren't you glad we serve the God of all of a sudden? Aren't you glad that in a moment you can be in sickness and all of a sudden you're not? Aren't you glad that all of a sudden you can be in sin and then all of a sudden you're out and set free and delivered? I don't know about you, but I'm glad that we serve the God of all of a sudden. And people, especially Christians, are always intimidated by people who love God more than them. It happens. And we hear things like, oh, that person's oversaved. Oh, they're a new Christian. Don't worry. They'll, they'll relax later. And what really that comes from is because that person is on fire for God. And that person who's been a Christian for a long time, their fire died out years ago. But again, aren't you glad we serve the God of all of a sudden? The God who can take you where you are, deaden your faith and reignite you to run this race. God is not done with you. Just one touch from God can change everything in your life. In a moment, in one, one moment, God can change your life. But do you expect him to? Did you come with that expectation this morning? For the third time, let's pray one more time. Father, increase our expectation of what you want to do this morning. Father, we believe that you can do anything and that just one touch from you can change everything. Amen. Turn to your neighbor one more time. Say, start strong. Finish right. You know, when you start things the right way, you're going to finish them the right way. Amen? But if you start things the wrong way, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to give up. That's why it's so important for us to start the right way so that we can finish strong. To our opening scripture one more time, Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Here's the thing. Before we run this race, before you run the race, you're supposed to throw off the things that hinder you and the sin that so easily entangles you before you run the race. But here's what we can sometimes look like. And just in a closing illustration, Jeremiah, or no, Josiah's gonna help me, right? Yeah, Josiah, he's gonna help me out and and bring up some things for me. Give it up for Josiah. Awesome young man. Okay, so go ahead and just start grabbing me the the bags and, and here's what we'll do for our closing illustration. Because this is how some of us look trying to run the race. Okay, so let's, let's start off with one and, oh, perfect. Here's my unforgiveness. Gotta carry this. Right, let's, let's get another one. So I'm running the race. I'm about to start, but I'm supposed to throw this off, but um, I'm gonna keep it. It's just a backpack. I can run the race with it. Oh, gosh, my secret sin. I gotta have that. Well, 
Here's my secret sin. Okay. Well, I could... Two backpacks is okay. I can... I can still run the race. Whew. I mean, it's a little heavy. But, um... We can, we can make that work. Oh, gosh. I forgot about that one. Man. The death in my family that I never processed right. So I... You know, I'm not ready to let that go. So I, I guess I'll... I still got this, though. Do y'all believe in me? Okay, that's good. All right, I think I'm ready to run the race. Oh, no. My insecurities. Gosh, I gotta have these. Okay, thank you. Okay, I'm still good. Okay. I got this. Okay. So I'm getting ready to, to run the race here, I think, and oh, no. forgot about my failure that I could never let go. Thank you. Okay, so. How's that? This is how some of you look. <laughs> All right, I'm ready to run the race. But scripture first tells us what? To throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. But we run like this. And then we wonder why people who are running like they're free are passing us by. God, why are you using that person more than me? And you laugh, you laugh, but spiritually this is what happens all the time. So what does it call us to do? It doesn't say place it. It says to throw it off. It says to take my secret sin and to throw it off. Amen. I would throw it off. Into, it says to grab your headset and throw it off. <clears throat> this one um, has my church laptop, so if y'all don't mind, I'm going to... Just pretend I threw that one. Y'all, we need to live like we're free. Because if you try to run the race way down, you're going to reap what you sow, Right? And you're going to give up on the race. Lastly, the beginning of the scripture says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You know what's interesting? If you put your weight down and you throw off the things that hinder you when no one's looking, you can pick it right back up with no one looking either. So in front of witnesses, to throw off the weight that hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles you. That's what we're called to do. You need to have people in your life who you can testify to. I had a young man this morning said, I got a testimony. I want to share it with you. I'm like, let me hear it. He goes, we don't have enough time. Whew. God must have been moving. 
He's like, I'll tell you on Wednesday. But I'm like, even in that moment, I'm like, tell me in brief what happened. Testify something to me. You need to have people in your life who you can testify to, who you can tell that you've been set free from things and people who will hold you accountable. People who love you enough to say, hey, I thought you gave that up. What are you doing here? What, what are you doing right now? I thought, I thought God set you free from that. Well, he did, but, you know, I started to consider my circumstances instead of considering him and... That's how people usually fall back in. Consider him. Consider the opposition that he went through. Amen? And I just want to give an opportunity. Because maybe you're here and you walked in with baggage. Not that you carried on like me, but spiritually you're carrying it. Maybe you walked in this room heavy this morning. And I want to give you an opportunity to throw off those weights that hinder you. So every head bowed and every eyes closed. Father, we thank you for this morning. And I just want to give a call. If there's anybody here who walked in heavy, anybody here who, who walked up with burdens, anyone here who walked up with things that are hindering them, if anyone came in with sin that is stopping them from running the race. With no one looking around in this moment, if that's you, would you raise a hand just so that I can see, so I can pray for you? And no one's looking around. Hallelujah. Wow. All right, you all can put your hand down. Don't think about it. If you raised your hand, stand up and come down to this altar right now. Don't think about it. Don't look around. Come up, stand at this altar. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. And if you didn't raise your hand, but you need to come up here, make your way up to this altar, I'll wait for you. Don't be embarrassed. It doesn't matter if you've been here your whole entire life. Don't let a moment of God pass by because you're afraid of what someone else will think when they see you walk up to an altar. Everyone in the congregation, please stretch your hands forward. Begin to pray. Everyone here at this altar, look at me real quick. You are here in front of witnesses. And so I want you to pray. We're gonna go into a moment of prayer and I'm gonna pray over you. And I'm going to ask that God would set you free from the baggage that you walked in with. Amen. Amen. Congregation, please stretch your hands forward and begin to pray. Everyone here at this front altar right now, lift your hands to receive. Father, we thank you that you desire to set us free. Father, we thank you that you are willing and wanting and able to set us free. And so, Father, I just pray, whatever it is, the baggage that we came in with, God, that we would have the courage to place it down at this altar. And, Father, leave it in the cloud of witnesses that's watching. And, Father, that you would be glorified through the testimony of this morning. Father, that people would be set free in Jesus' name. Let me just lay hands on you real quick. Father, just pray, be free in Jesus' name. Be free in Jesus' name. Be free in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Be free in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Be free in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Be free in Jesus' name. Be free in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Be free in Jesus' name.
Hallelujah. Thank you, altar. Here's what I want you to do. Everyone here at this front altar, look at me real quick, real quick. After you leave church today, tell somebody what God set you free from. Don't keep it to yourself. Tell somebody who will hold you accountable to the work that he did in your life because God is gonna continue that work in your life. Amen, amen. Would you give it up for the people at the front altar as they make their way back to their seats? Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And I wanna be sensitive to time because we're coming up to our close, but I never wanna end a service without offering this call. And if there's anybody here who has never given their life to Jesus or maybe you did some time ago but your heart is distant from him. So whether you want to give your life to him for the first time or as a rededication, would you slip up a hand and we'll pray together. Everyone keep looking. Keep looking, everyone. No one bow your heads. No one, no one close your eyes because if you can't make a stand in a room full of people that love you, you won't do it once you leave. So if anyone needs to give their life to Jesus, would you slip up a hand and we'll pray together. Preaching to a saved crowd. Amen. Amen. I love it. Let's pray one more time as we close. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the things that you started within us. And we know that your word says that when you are the one who starts a good work, that you are faithful to finish it to the completion until the coming of Christ Jesus. And so, Father, I just pray that the work that you started in the hearts of your people this morning, God, that you would send people around them, send people in their life, Father, who will help to hold them accountable and Father, who will help to, to bring them on this narrow path, on this race as they head towards you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen.